Welcome to the Carmen Murray Show, where we have conversations about 21st century business and culture. Together, we'll play in the customer experience sandpit, leaving no stone unturned as we address today's burning marketing issues. CMOs need to be more versatile than ever before as they abandon stale thinking, integrate data insights and technology, create seamless brand experiences, and maintain customer-centric human connections to serve and simplify their customers' lives. From the Solid Gold Studios, here's your host, Carmen Murray. Hey, 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 Future Fit Tribe, welcome to yet another episode. I am super excited because today we are interviewing Mushambi Mutuma, and he is actually the author of a book called Tech Adjacent. And he's a tech leader, serial entrepreneur and speaker, professional speaker, building brands across Africa and the US. Welcome, Mushambi. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Listen to the deep voice, <laughs> eh? Oh my gosh. Okay. So we've got a lot to talk about. First of all, if you were at a party, you had to introduce yourself. Who are you? What you up to? And tell us a little bit more about the real Mushambi. Great. Yeah, as mentioned, Mushambi Mutuma, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I am a tech entrepreneur. I'm an author and a speaker. Um, I speak about all things Africa as it relates to tech and innovation. I run businesses in the tech space all across this country in South Africa and some other places in the world. And I'm really passionate about simplifying technology for people mm. that's what i do it's probably the most essential thing it's like making it seamless and as simple as possible but also integrated yes that's the thing that's Isn't the it? trick yeah. <laughs> you see boom <laughs> i can't do a mic drop because otherwise we're going to have a big we'll issue have a here, big problem here. <laughs> <laughs> okay so i first want to understand why the euros yeah, so I'm originally from Zimbabwe. Yeah. Uh, my, my dad is Zimbabwe, my mother's from the Eastern Cape. But I think in the early 90s, my parents kind of saw what was happening in Zim from a political situation. So it was a self-imposed exile, actually. And uh, for some strange reason, we ended up in Texas, of all places. Of all places? Yeah, don't oh. hold it against me. <laughs> <laughs> well, some presidents come from there, so yeah. hopefully we, we're having some uh, issues. So hopefully you can... Uh, <laughs> Strangely enough, if you ever thought that that president would be better than this one. <laughs> okay, but I want to understand. Yes. Mushambi Mutuma. Yeah. Mutuma, yeah. right? Yeah. It's just so eclectic and it's just like so different. <laughs> what does it really mean? So it's actually very deep, Shona. It's actually quite a rare name. So it came from my great, great grandfather and his brother. Um, so one was Mutuma, one was Mushambi. So in Shona, Kushamba means like to cleanse, to purify. Wow. And Mutuma is like those who were sent. So I guess we were sent to purify. <laughs> Isn't that like prophetic, hey? You left them, yeah. you were sent off to Texas. <laughs> yes, to purify Texas. Imagine that. <laughs> oh, purify with Texas. Yes. Okay. So just to give you a little bit of context about myself, so I actually come out of the background of technology yes. and mobile and exceptionally passionate about it. When I saw, oh my gosh, you are working in Africa with technology, I was like, yeah. we have to talk. Okay. <laughs> so we're very spoiled in South Africa. Yeah. We've got state-of-the-art technology and a lot of people don't actually understand how privileged we are with the infrastructure that we have of technology sure. from a simple thing like a ussd short code all of those technologies that we have here now yeah. if you want to i'm just using a ussd so it's a technology we have in south africa that we mostly use for prepaid yes and if you had to go for example to nigeria i don't believe that the ussd is available in Nigeria. Mm, as fully integrated as it is and here. It's not it's as true. integrated yeah, in the yeah. way where you can use one line. So you have to have different lines or use prominent lines based on the cell phone or the network mobile provider. Yes, where you are, definitely. So if we look at South Africans, we're actually very innovative in yeah. general because we are good at solving African problems yes. and brilliant at it. And a lot of the technologies are homeborn, like yeah, USSD, definitely. prepaid, yes. and it's global, and it's all exciting. But one thing um, also that is really a big discussion at the moment is data. So here in South Africa, we're very privileged that we have access to data that we can enrich. But if you go to a lot of the African countries, you'll yeah. find, like if you think of CIPC, where you register your business. Yes. Yeah, you can literally, you know, enrich it as simple as one, two, and three. Definitely. But if you had to go to some of the countries in Africa, yeah. they still have it on manual systems. So yes. you literally have to go through a library of documents to go and find what you're looking for. Yeah. 
doesn't make life as easy as we hope because we're very spoiled in South Africa. Certainly. So what I wanted to ask you, or the point that I'm trying to make, is not as easy to implement technology, especially if the internet is not accessible to many. However, we have a very high mobile penetration in for Africa. Sure, for sure. So what is your view on the challenges in Africa? Yeah. So I think for me, actually, the very first place that you need to start when you think about technology is a lot of times when we think about it, we think about high tech. We think about very complex solutions. We think about AI, robotics. We think about mobile applications. And that's all it is, or that's all we think about. But technology at its core is just a tool human beings use to simplify and enrich their lives. That's it. So from the date, the dawn of man, from using kind of a, a stone wall and a, and a hammer and chisel, that was technology. So I think when we think about Africa, we have to think about it in that level of simplicity. Mm. It doesn't have to be this Elon Musk level of innovation, right, that we've never heard of before, that we've never seen. It actually probably more than anywhere else in the world, it needs to be the simplest form. So when I talk about tech, especially on the content, I tell people, think about how you can just incrementally improve something, make it cheaper, mm. make it faster, make it more accessible. Correct. That's it. And I want people to leave it there. Don't go any deeper than that. Don't go any further. And I think because we have so many challenges here, I mean, Offline, we're talking about mobile penetration on the continent. It's still quite low. Access to information, access to the internet is still quite low. It's green fields. I think we've got 3 billion newly connected consumers planned over the next five to seven years, majority of them being on the continent. I think 1.2 billion of them being local. So we've got an amazing trajectory that's coming. But right now, there's a lot of things that we won't have access to that wouldn't be a problem anywhere else in the world. And so I think those are the things that we have to think about when we think technology is thinking incrementally instead of always thinking 10x. Yes, that's exactly the thing. It's like, you know, especially coming out of a mobile um, industry, it's like everybody thinks app is a strategy. And everybody thinks everybody's going to download this app. And 10% of the people are going to download it. It's going to go into the app graveyard and that's it. And, you know, I think the important thing is how can you be of service to people? Because I think data is a massive issue. I don't think it's just an issue that we have. But Mm -hmm. there is like... Kenya, for example, is apparently very affordable. Yeah, no, we're actually the most expensive on the continents as South Africans yeah, yeah. Uh, by far, which is a little bit frustrating because uh, even if you just cross the border into Zim or into Zambia, even in the SADC, it dramatically drops. Um, yeah. So I think if you look at places that are kind of leading, it's Kenya, it's Nigeria, it's Ghana, even Ethiopia has very low data rates. But I think it's because they're trying to increase the market share there because that penetration is still so low compared to here in South Africa. So it's still, for me, it's it's instead of like a challenge and a, and a, and a conflict, for me, it's opportunity. And I guess yes. it's about switching the, the narrative and switching the perspective on it. Because for me, I'm like, that's tremendously exciting. If yeah. I'm in New York uh, and trying to think about penetration and consumers, I'm thinking completely different about a saturated market that has everything under the sun. You know, a thousand different kinds of peanut butter and jelly versus <laughs> here. And we're like, we got two. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it that way. You Keep it simple. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but uh, further to that, just to, you know, give perspective. Yeah. So the one year we're working on a big mobile campaign to happen, I think it was in, in Nigeria. Yes. And all of a sudden we get told the regulators changed the law. <laughs> we need a... Uh, Six months to clear the content with them and the campaign is launching in two months. Wow. And the regulator needs it and you have to commit for 12 months. Yes. I can't remember if it was Nigeria. I can't remember which country it was, but I think it was Nigeria. Yeah. You can't do a reply, yes, SMS. Gateway is blocked. Yes. Um, everything is monitored. Like, yeah. And it's such an old system. I'm trying to, to move that. Look, I think things have progressed as time has gone by. Sure. So I haven't had my finger on the pulse right. as robustly. I'm more into CX now. Yes. But what do you think um, are the challenges for our listeners and our audience, especially that are trying to you know, get access to Africa? Yeah. And obviously, the only way to do that is through a mobile. For sure. Um, what is the advice that you would give them in order how to approach marketing in general when we're working in countries? So I think 
one of the the biggest challenges is that there's so many countries, <laughs> right? And the culture is so different. You mentioned working in Nigeria. That culture is dramatically different than the South African culture and a Kenyan culture. And even within it, it's multiple subsets and hundreds, mm. hundreds literally of languages. And I think that's the first thing to know is that Africa, unlike even lots of parts of Europe, is culturally very, very diverse. And doing business there and thinking of tone and messaging for audiences mm. is very challenging. It's more than just language. I mean, we're working on a campaign for a telco right now in 12 different countries, and we're thinking about that's 32 different languages yeah. and more than just English and French and, you know, and Luol, but there's like, it's even, there's so many subsets within that. And each person within that has a different tone and has a different mm. way and there's different importance um, to how they c consume content. Yeah. And so you have to shift it constantly, mm. um, I think, more than anywhere else on the globe. And I think that's the first step. And then I think the other thing is that if you talk about data, because of the price, data in Africa is a currency on its own, right? Mm. It's a it's actually a priceless commodity. It's worth more than gold, more than oil. It, it's literally priceless. So if you think about it, data is what you, people use to purchase education, entertainment, um, and just information in general. And so you have to think about whatever you're giving them and serving to them, it has to think about that priceless commodity first, which is deeper than a rand or deeper than a dollar, if you will, or a shilling. So I think that's what I first try to tell brands is, Think about your audience diversely and think about their needs as it relates to kind of the price of accessing your content and accessing your brand. Because um, I think it changes dramatically here than elsewhere. You know, something that you just touch on is the language mm, barrier. Yes. It's a big problem. Yeah. You know, just in South Africa, we've got 11 official languages. Yes. And we were doing a campaign and I went out in the field to test people just a simple technology like uh, USSD. Yeah. And I was sitting with the Gogos mm -hmm. and they didn't know what I was talking about and I could not translate in the language. Mm -hmm. And I was like, as a brand, as a, a laundry detergent, for example, yeah. are we going that extra? Because it's still something we're not seeing here, even in South Africa, Definitely. is that and now we want to go into the African markets. Yeah. Um, is that language barrier because people don't, we assume that everybody's understanding it. I mean, there's a uh, financial companies when they, when they do funeral cover and so yes, forth, they yes, have yes. to do it in English only after you've signed, then they'll translate they in your language, which yeah. is like yeah. ludicrous. No, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, English is my third language and. A lot of stuff just doesn't translate. <laughs> it just Especially doesn't, in financial right? risk like, management. It, it, you know what I mean? Like, you know, we're talking about, you know, kind of heavily context banking, you know, products. It, it just doesn't translate. And there's a lot of nuance there. So I think I agree with you that brands aren't doing enough, but I think it, it's a complex job and a lot of people mm. just would rather not because it's so complex. So especially if you think about, yeah, we do. Um, and especially if the rest of the continent, because I mean, I think Nigeria has 192 languages and dialect so it's even more complicated there so yeah. i think it's uh it's a big job and we have to because that's how you get traction in any audience yeah because i think the continent africa we've got about over a thousand languages right yeah. i mean like language is a very important thing because that is how i build a connection with you exactly you know when it's over a phone or you know i'm not seeing you face to face and i'm in a remote area i don't have mm -hmm. access to tv etc and when i go into you know the towns and the urban areas for my shopping etc yeah. it's a once like a, it's a planned excursion it's not exactly. something i do on a daily basis right, right so that connection with the brand is so so important and the best way to do it is by doing it in you an know, authentic manner that connects. Because yeah, tone is important. I mean, even think about tone when you're having a WhatsApp conversation with your spouse or your siblings, right? <laughs> your parents. 100. Tone is important, right? And a lot of things get lost just there. So imagine in different languages, a lot of thing, communications get lost when we simply don't translate and translate effectively. A lot of brands I know, even in South Africa, big brands just hit that Google Translate button <gasps> and uh, <gasps> literally no, have massive campaigns. It happened during election season, during the last that presidential campaign. Insane. And you'd be surprised about how offensive some things translate to. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there was actually a story many years ago. So the bureaus, uh, yes. the news bureaus are not allowed to use Google Translate. They used to. Yeah. And then they translated and then the N-word comes yep. up and stuff. There's and it just all takes... all kinds of problems. <laughs> yeah. You can't, you can't do Google Translate. Exactly. Sorry, Google. Uh, no offense, <laughs> no but offense, it's like... No offense, but it's just not... 
It's not completely accurate. Yeah, yeah it's There's like nuance. When you, <laughs> so when you talk to Alex and you ask her for something and she just takes you on route to Wikipedia to something completely different. Exactly. Okay, so I want to talk about your book. Yes. Um, take it, Jason. Tell me, who was the first person yeah. you told about the book? Like, who did you like sit down and say, I think I'm going to write this book? It's actually really funny. Uh, it was about seven in the morning. Um, I just come back from the US and I was on a long flight and I just got back and that morning I was getting ready. I looked at my wife and I said, baby, I think we should write a book. Um, <laughs> and funny enough, at 5 p.m. that same day, my publisher, who I never met before, called me and she said, she sent me an email actually and said, hey, would you like to grab coffee and are you interested in writing a book? Um, so it happened literally the exact same day. Yeah. Oh my gosh. How <laughs> yeah. long did it take you? Four and a half months. What? Yeah. My gosh. It was difficult <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> but listen, this is this is the the, the thing, right? Yeah. Is it's difficult yeah. to write. Yes. It's difficult to allocate that time in your day to day life. Yeah. But it's also very difficult to take technology and make it simple. Yeah, and also to try to write a book about technology that's ever-changing. Like, I had to delete chapters at a time because I'd write about something and then tomorrow something would be announced. And I'm like, okay, well, that case study is out the door or that company doesn't exist anymore. Uh, so I had to decide uh, that when I published or when I submitted to editing, whatever was in was ever in the streets at that point in time was what I had to submit and because it was just going to be an endless journey. It's like that book, Africa Rising. I yes. don't know if you ever, have, like, if, yeah. you, if you read it, you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, like, it just, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, what you say is so true. So yeah. what we all experience, a client would say to you, okay, right, pitch for an app. You then go, you pitch for the thing and it takes them six, nine months to authorize this, yeah. this app. Yeah. And then before you go into the prototype and all of that, by the time it's time to build, sorry, Back to the drawing board. Yeah, Technology doesn't exist anymore. anymore. Yeah, yeah, or it's completely changed rapidly. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. there's a lot of extra factors that we now need to take into consideration. So it's it's not an easy journey. Definitely. Why tech adjacent? Why did you choose that word? Yeah. So yeah. So for me, in thinking about when I talk to a lot of people right, as a tech entrepreneur, as a person that builds tech from a company standpoint. A lot of people try to keep up with technology. And just like I couldn't, it was hard to write a book about it. As we're sitting here in the last 30 minutes, the last hour, there's going to be new stuff that's revealed mm. about media, about uh, marketing, about broadcasting, about communication, right? It's just, it's like, it's an infinite kind of, especially now, it's like it's happening faster than ever before about new technologies being released. So I guess my premise is that it's impossible to keep up with technology. Mm. Even as a tech entrepreneur, even as a builder of tech, I can't keep up with it. It's, it's I, impossible. I right? So my thing is... Be close by to technology. Mm. Have the same endpoint as technology. Be closely adjoined. And that's what adjacent kind of directly translates to is that you don't want to be behind, but you're never going to be ahead. You're never going to keep up, but just try to be within close proximity. Mm. And if you can do that by understanding how technology works and its nature, then instead of trying to keep up with the latest form of AI and cryptocurrency and whatever else, is you'll actually last longer and be able to kind of understand where it's going next and then be kind of future-proof, as mm. you mentioned earlier. Yeah. And I think it's also very important to, you know, uh, the Amara's law, um, and maybe you can elaborate on that, but I think, um, yeah. you know, I think we, we underestimate the longevity of certain technologies yeah. and we're always chasing the new. Yes. Um, MarTech landscape alone, if we just look at the MarTech landscape, I think we're sitting on 8,000 technologies. Yes. And I'm of the, people might slap me for this one, <laughs> but I truly believe that we need to get to a point where we go deeper mm. rather than wider. Yes. Because yeah, I think with technology, yeah. we need to start refining technology because everybody goes and they say, oh, this is a nice piece of technology. Let me build one just like this and just add this little feature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then just another a little one, iteration, a little iteration. And, yeah. and it's just like, why not collaborate mm. And co-create and co-act together. For sure. Swap. I mean, there's a, I don't know if you know about this. You probably know about this. It's from the United States. There's yes. a game called Digital Hopscotch. Yes. 
Yeah. Mm. So they would then swap code with each other. Why can't businesses take their codes and, mm. you know, swap it with people? I don't know. Like, yeah. I just think that. But we- you know what? The interesting thing about that is large companies in the U.S. do that now, right? So if you think about Tesla, if you think about SpaceX, if you think about even Airbnb, all that technology is available, open source, right? And even Elon Musk, strangely enough, says, hey, take my technology, improve it, send me what you think. And we'll add that to the car. We'll add that to our spaceships. Um, so I think it's a perspective now that a billion dollar framework is available for free. Mm, um, and that it. they're not concerned about you having access to their source code. I mean, I was literally in a meeting this afternoon and we're talking about a deploying an e-commerce solution for a big uh, kind of multi-channel retail company. And they're like, okay, so when we deploy, you're going to hand over the source code. And I'm like, it actually doesn't really matter. Like, <laughs> Like, sure, just to make you feel better. But, like, to, what the, you do with yeah, it. Yeah, that's the thing is that Elon Musk is like, this is a $20 billion company, but here's my secret sauce. You can actually have it. That's an amazing perspective to think about. So, I think definitely more companies need to stop holding on to it. Mm. And the thing about technology from a legal standpoint is that you can't even. You can't even trademark it, right? Like, you can't protect yourself unless someone walks into your computer lab, logs into your computer, and takes the actual source code. You can't protect any of that, right? You can't license that. So, Facebook or any technology that exists, if I replicate every single feature that you have, you can't do anything in a court of law. You've got zero protection unless I stole it directly from your machine. I didn't know that. Yeah, so it's like it's actually, if you really think about it, completely worthless. <laughs> so give it away and let people improve it. You, so, you see, this is yeah. this is how Netflix did that. Yeah. Did, did you hear what they did? Yes. It's such an incredible story. So for um, the listeners, yes, they had a competition where you could win one million dollars, yeah. and then you had to improve the match rate of the AI of and then the, co- of the yes, algorithm. Yes, 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 yes. And then it took two years and then somebody managed to improve it 10 times more yeah. than it was, yeah. the match rate. And that's how they managed to get it. And that yeah. was by sharing the actual Exactly, code. right. And for them, that's probably their most priceless feature inside that entity. So I learned recently, and I put it actually in the book, is that so Netflix, I think this last year, spent something like $8 billion on original programming. So like curated content that they went out and purchased. But they directly match that to consumer insights. So you know how they've got that predictive technology that says, hey, mm. you'll like this movie 90%, right? You got 90% success rate in predicting what you want to watch. They make their buying decisions knowing on we've got this audience. We've got Carmen there in Joburg. She's going to love this. So when we go and buy it, we know who we're going to go and sell it to. So it's like directly infused their business model into the technology, into mm. the customer experience. And you're just happy because you're like, yeah, I do love that comedy special. But they're like, we knew it before we bought it. You know, so that's an amazing twist on kind of using those brand insights and consumer insights and then the technology and merging those two things together. It's so simple, but powerful. Yeah. You know what scares me about the power is like if you think of surveillance capitalism. Yes. <laughs> I am I'm horrified. Yeah. I'm horrified yeah. about the invasion of privacy that we're currently experiencing sure. because there, there's not enough governance. Yeah. Um, let me give you an example. I sent out a pitch yes. to a client, a proposal. And within 10 minutes, I got an email in through Microsoft with their competitor. And it's a brand that's entering the market now. They're not here yet. And that's it. Have you ever experienced when you're having a conversation, even on airplane mode? Yeah. Let's just mention something random and just see like Mozart or something. (laughs) But then all of a sudden you, you get served this ad. It's on Google. It's on Facebook. It's everywhere. And everybody's denying. No, we're not listening in. But this is the most intimate conversations that you're having. It is. In your home. And that's why I have a million blockers on my phone because I know very well. Like even now when I was trying to scan the QR code when I walked in here, (laughs) I couldn't. Right? Because I'm like, I got three different VPNs, right? Two ad blockers. (laughs) I got to turn all of that off just to allow my camera to scan this. So it's just because I know the power, right? That actually happens in it. But I think the other challenge is that as consumers, sometimes we freely give it away. I mean, a couple months ago, there was that Russian face app that made you 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 look 30 years older. Everybody and their mother did it, including myself. I right? didn't. I knew what they were up to. <laughs> All right. Interesting. Interesting. All right. You just waited a little no. longer than Why us. No, I'm going to look in pretty years. No. Man, that's the problem with Not trends, right? They party. got us, right? And then the T's and C's were like, we can use any photo in your entire phone book for anything that we ever want to do forever. Like that was what you gave up. 
And we just readily gave that away to their system, to the Russians of all people. And I, I think 150 million people downloaded that application. And that's for facial recognition, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Or if you think about also, content. Or if right? they content If you think news. about content and fake news, that's also quite powerful, right? So a lot of yeah. us are now, you know, uh, our pictures are now being used as, as Twitter bots, right? And or so, Bitcoin scams. Ex- exactly. So that's the challenge. Yeah. But, I, but I feel better because it was 149,999,000 other people, including me. So I no, feel a little bit better. When I saw that going around, I was like, there's no way. This is like, even the true collab yes. freaks me out of it because why what are they doing with all that data what are how are they commercializing so there was another company in the u.s um i think last year and i cannot remember the life of me maybe it'll come to me in a moment but it was an unsubscribed i think it was unsubscribed me um email unsubscriber so especially if you got gmail you know you get tons of spam you log into that application it'll tell you everything that you've ever subscribed to and you can easily kind of effortlessly unsubscribe yeah 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 right it was free and then they found out that Uber was using them um, to monitor their competition. So Uber was using it to see what you were subscribed to. So, oh, you're on Lyft? Why don't we send you an email campaign that says, hey, here's 20% discount. And then that company got in a lot of trouble because people didn't mind it being free and being open, but it was like you're giving, you didn't tell us what you're mm-hmm. using our information for. So I think that's the new age of kind of marketing and content is people are like, okay, we're readily giving you all this information. We don't know to what extent and what are you using it for? And I think brands have to understand that, that it's more than an opt-in now. There has to be a certain level of transparency um, to tell us what you're using our information and our data for and how. Yeah, the devil's in the detail. And the end of the day is... No um, one reads T's and C's. Nobody reads T's and C's. I think it takes them one and a half seconds to read um, yeah, T's accept. and C's. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a tough one. Okay, let's talk in your book. Yes. You, you talk about something that I'm very passionate about, is which is this buzzword boot camp. Yeah. We have a lot of cliche flexing happening out there in the marketplace. Definitely. Especially Everybody in marketing. Fl- <laughs> like AI. Lo- AI is my favorite. Because yes. AI and chatbots are something completely different. Yep. But it's actually a group name. Yeah. AI is the group name for 10 or m- Even machine more. learning, yeah. they all it's group part everything of AI, together. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's just this cliche flexing. And you some, when those hidden signals, you know, when you start hearing people speak like that, even yes. sometimes tech enablers and, yeah, um, would speak so. like that. And then you start thinking, okay, but wait a minute. Um, do you really understand what you're telling me? I don't proclaim that I know everything about technology. Yeah. I am forever learning like yourself. For sure. But I think it's a very, very dangerous thing when you're going into boardrooms and trying to sell them a tech stack yeah. that's going to be ancient next month. Right. Yeah. It's really key for me and important to me. And I'm glad that you mentioned it because for me, the reason technology is so intimidating for, for a lot of people and they're scared of it is because of the, booze, the buzzwords. Mm. I speak tech every day. I speak on stages weekly. I wrote this book. But to, for me to like accurately break down all the intricacies of AI would be a very difficult thing to do. Yeah. Right. Like or blockchain. Right? Oh yeah. Cryptocurrency, like who? <laughs> who Listen, I just stop at the first ten. That's right? why I kind of know what's yeah. going on, and then I stop. And, and they're all interconnected, and there's so many levels yeah. of detail there. For me, I'm like, forget all that. Why does it actually matter, and how does it relate to you? That's the core of technology. And as a business, we sell a lot of solutions to banks and to big companies and to big corporates, and even like you know small companies as well. In a room, somebody asked me last week when I was on stage, do you know how to code? Right? I've been doing this 15 or 12 years now. I do not. Or I do, but I barely. Just yeah. All right? Like barely. You don't want me to do it. Right? And I don't know half the difference between HTML and Java and Angular and JL. I don't know all these things. I got, luckily I got a good team that does. And we've built some really amazing applications that a lot of people use, maybe even on your phone. Right? But, at the core, whenever I'm in that boardroom, no one is asking us about that tech stack. No one is asking us about all the different languages. They're asking, can you solve a problem for us? And that's where the root is. And that's all technology is, is like solving problems. Yeah. Very few times do we have to have a tech to tech conversation and we get down into the details. But mm. then you can always have the people that do that well there for that. Yeah. So at its core, as a tech entrepreneur, I don't know all the details and minutia of tech and I don't have to. Yeah. You know? It's so true what you're saying. 
I think the important thing as well is is that you know there's such a disconnect between the CMO, yes, the chief technology officer, yes. and the chief data officer. Yes, everybody have a different perspective. So we had um, the UJ Marketing Fit experience the other day, yeah, and one of the speakers were talking about they took four million records, enriched it, cleaned it up, and all of that, removed the deceased, so they had a clean base and. The IT department then turned around and said, listen, it's going to take us a month to upload 40,000 records. The whole reason they had that enriched was so that they can leverage it in order to use it effectively for Purposes, marketing yeah, and for commercialization within right. the organization. That has a rhyme to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I sound like Eminem now joking. But the reason I'm mentioning this is because it's deeply concerning and it really does create a lot of barriers and it's a siloed view. So yeah. siloed departments create siloed experience. The person that's really suffering is the customer at the yeah, end of the day. Exactly. Because the tech stack that's yeah. put together is to serve a silo department, yes. not an integrated one. Yeah. I think it's a challenge I see in companies every single day. And a lot of banks, especially in South Africa, use the word omni-channel, right? Oh, they want this omni-channel experience where one user, one login, one registration, and it doesn't exist. I mean, how many times do you get asked to verify your ID and your address and, and your banking the same details? One from 20 years ago. Like, it hasn't changed at all. And, yeah. and, they, and they can see it all there. And I think that's the reality is our legacy systems and even even some of our marketing comms we don't speak to one another and I think for me whenever we walk into the room we try to break down those walls and say all of you are actually on the same team here yeah right for all of you to grow you all have to be integrated mm. and you have to be omni-channel right or you have to think about the path to that because of the value for the consumer at the end of the day because as a consumer you want that experience you don't want to be asked a million times to verify yeah. things you want to log in immediately you want to pick up your phone do a face id and be right there right yeah. and transact or interact and do whatever you need to based do based on your digital literacy though exactly yeah, yeah for sure yeah right um but i think everyone wants ease Correct. Right. No matter how illiterate you are, they still want ease. And especially, I'd even argue, even the more digitally illiterate you are, the more ease that you want and comfort that you want. So I think for me, we have to break down those titles of CTO, CMO, CDO, CEO. Like, I'm, it's just like, can we just be one team? <laughs> Literally. I think, I think, I think yeah. you're 100% um, correct. And I think that there needs to happen a lot of uh, cross-pollination between yes. the between departments. Yeah. Because look at the please call me. The please call yes. me was not invented by somebody in the technology department. It not was done in the financial department. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, that's just a perfect example why it's so important yes. to, to collaborate, co-create, and co-act. Exactly. Because a lot of companies are sitting in the execution chasm. Yeah, yeah. So they don't get to do all of that. Um, yeah. But it goes back to that Netflix example, right? Yeah. If that Netflix department that focused on user insights and data yeah. did not share that information with the acquisition and content team, the content would not perform well no matter how great the algorithm is, mm. right? And so them knocking down those walls is what led to that platform growing the way it does. And that's why Spotify does super well as well. Yes. You know, and it's like, it's the exact same and thing. Amazon. That, exactly, right? And so you have to break down those walls in order to improve the customer experience and then in turn the business model. Yeah. I mean, think about Amazon. They introduce a new piece of code every 15 seconds. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, they're not playing around. Like, I mean, you know, this is the Uber does the same thing and they work a lot with country innovation, right? So people, every country is open to innovating and then they'll let you test. And then if it works well, they'll say, okay, cool, let's roll this out to another country. So you'll find when you land in Uber in Tanzania, the experience is actually very different than the South African experience, but it's something that works very well in that market. And they're like, okay, cool, we can use that in India because the markets are kind of similar. Right? So I think that's how you stay abreast, right? Is knowing your consumer and knowing it's always changing and rapidly innovating rapidly experimenting, rapidly failing. Um, and so we have to be open to those kind of things. The Wakanda effect. Yeah. I, I know what movie you've been watching. <laughs> it was a great movie. It was a great movie. <laughs> okay, tell me about the Wakanda effect. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously I referenced Black Panther, right, as a film. And I think for me it was an entertaining film, but I think a powerful film because – 
particularly for Africans, it was like a, an example for something that looked like us and sounded like us, or they tried to sound like us. But you're right. Um, <laughs> the but, tone uh, wasn't quite yeah, right. It wasn't completely there, right? Um, but they looked like us, and it showed for me like this hidden African excellence that no one knew about, but that was world leading. And for me, I think about that when I think about technology is usually in this context, when we talk about African, when we talk about technology, tech, talk about innovation, we go straight to Silicon Valley. Mm. We go straight to Tel Aviv. We go straight to Europe, right? We don't say what's happening here. And as a technologist and a speaker trying to research and share, hey guys, this is what's happening in the world. Everyone has heard all the singularity university examples and they're great and it's amazing and they've collated so much information, but it doesn't have local relevance and context. So I felt when I was doing it, I was doing a disservice when I wasn't contextualizing innovation. Because innovation is like contextual problem solving. So when you say, okay, this is what they're doing in Silicon Valley, everyone's like, okay, that's us versus them. And like, oh, they did it there because there's a system that works for that. And it's really hard to say, I can do that here if I'm a business owner. Even if I'm like a small child, I can also do that if those people don't look and sound like me. So when I wrote about the Wakanda effect, it was saying that there's this 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 deep-seated African excellence that's just under the radar, this vibranium that nobody knows about, but it's actually happening. Mm. And you spoke about it at the very beginning, and South Africa in particular has world-leading technology. Not a lot of people know that. You know, our banking technology is the best technology on earth by far. Like literally, our banks are the most innovative banks in the world. They win awards every single year across the world not a lot of people talk about that when you just complain about fmb or capitech or whoever <laughs> right but they're like the technology is actually quite incredible in comparison yeah. my u.s bank card in my wallet right now i only got a chip a year ago what literally a year ago and this is bank of america one of the biggest banks in the i know world, i right? used to have a bank account yeah, day. <laughs> right um, and you could swipe that card anywhere in the world with no pin no anything so if someone like picked up my wallet they could go shopping and in South Africa, you'd never think about that level of insecurity from a banking understand. standpoint, right? <laughs> yeah. um, so it was like a big shift here. And I used to swipe with it here. And people were like, oh, no, like, oh, no just wait for the pin. And I'm like, no, there is none. What do you mean there is none? <laughs> There's no pin. You know, people panic. Like, I don't even want to accept your card, you know? And so I think for me, it was just telling the story of, like, local innovators that are doing, like, really amazing world-leading things. Mm. And that's what I talked about with uh, the Wakanda effect. It's it's such an amazing book and I really take my hat off and also the storytelling and the way that you, you weave everything you. about the African culture together. I really love it. I think it's so important, the relevance, because I don't know if you remember many, many years ago, they actually won, a, I think it was 2013, the Can, they won the Can Awards. It was India. It was a free missed call. Yeah. And then it had this triggered IVR um, message where you had the radio station, Unilever. Yes, it was Unilever. Unilever, right? Yep. And uh, we saw this um, at the company I was working for, Mobitainment, at that point in time. We saw it, and I always had this theory, simulate, innovate, elevate. Yes. You look at the case study. Yeah. Contextualize it. Yes. Then think of innovative ways, how you can bring it to life yes. with the technology that you have and elevate it yes. to serve the people of your country. Yeah, and scale. And scale it yes. 100%. Yeah. And then we worked on the sponsored call. And the sponsored call is, I don't know if you're familiar with yes. it, but the sponsored call where you, um, the brand actually pays for your yes, call and you have to listen to an ad in return. Why? Because we have a challenge here where data mm-hmm. and You know, the fees are very high and that's how we overcame that. And you had to listen to the ad so you can get your free minute call. Yes. So this is why it is important to get inspiration, I think. But I think it's so true what you're saying is we have to find a way of making it relevant to our people, relevant to our challenges and definitely in how we can scale it. Definitely. It's really true. I mean, for me, I've been part of so many like pitch competitions and I've heard we're the Airbnb of, the Uber of, the Facebook of. And it really grinds me because I'm like, replication doesn't work on this continent. No, you can't it just copy and paste everything that it exists everywhere else. 
you have to contextualize it. Yeah. It has to be like, why is this, is this a problem here? Actually, right? Like drone delivering, uh, you know, raspberry flavored donuts uh, is not a problem here, but it might be in San Jose, right? Or San but Francisco. But using it well. Yeah. For medical supplies delivery, no, I mean, right? Not, exactly. Yeah, not for like, you know, flavored cupcakes. So <laughs> I think that's the difference is that, you know, that's not a problem here. <laughs> you like know? we don't want your blooming donuts. Yeah. <laughs> but, I this, mean, but I mean, this is fact. And yes. I think we don't learn our lessons. We are continuously copying and pasting, copying and pasting rather than taking inspiration from it. Um, but let me talk about that topic while we're at it. Yeah. Disruption is a word that creeps under my skin. Yeah. I feel that there's, we need a new word because everybody's using it in such a wrong context. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, let's disrupt. That is, is almost like a cliche that yeah. you get. Yeah. Um, we need to introduce new mantras. We do. But more importantly is that disruption to us is build, um, chasing state-of-the-art technology and building it on old-fashioned business models. Yes. Doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Compute. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Legacy systems. Talk sure. to me about your view. So I think whenever I talk about disruption, I, I kind of break down three definitions. So firstly, in, invention, right? So invention is the creation of brand new things. We don't really invent as much as we used to anymore. Like it doesn't happen at the pace that it used to. Then there's innovation. And innovation is simply improving old things, making them slightly better. Disruption is making the old things completely obsolete. Mm. Right? How many businesses make other businesses completely obsolete mm. from a way of thinking, from a way of communicating, from behavior change? That's disruption. You know, just saying it and being it is, is very, very different. I mean, we had a client a few years ago that told us that they wanted to be the most disruptive bank in Africa. Right. And we got really excited about that brief. I mean, you're thinking digital yeah. banking, you're thinking bank zero, you're thinking, you know, all these new things. And literally what we found is, is after about three months, all they wanted was a new website. Uh, you know, <laughs> that that's literally it, but yet they wanted to be disruptors and they really didn't. So it's like everyone wants to be disruptive, but no one actually wants to be disruptive. Yeah. yeah, you see, so we had Mike Sharman. I don't know if yes, you know Mike yes, Sharman. So he was here a while ago and he was yeah. like, make this shit go viral. Yeah. And he was like, I can't do anything with that. Yeah. Like seriously. And then it's already been executed. Half yeah. of it's been done. And yeah. then you have to come and fix the mess. Yeah. It's a real problem. So I think for us, when, that's the example I give when a, a brand tells me, can we be disruptive? And I'm like, are you really ready for that? Are you actually ready to tear down your current business model completely, smash it to bits, and then rebuild? Because actually the only way you're going to disrupt in this day and age is by getting rid of yourself, of, by replacing yourself, replacing the thing that made you successful. That's how you actually disrupt is you make yourself obsolete. And you have to be willing to do whatever got us listed on the, the stock exchange, right, and made us a Fortune 500 company we have to kill all of that and start yeah. over no brand's willing to do that or very no, they few don't. they don't right? i mean having such a fun time talking yeah. to you like can we not just like go on for three hours three we episodes um, but um something that's so annoying is everything has to start with data yeah first comes data mm. and god we trust the reasons bring data yes. right but the problem is, is that we're not leveraging our data. So our data is sitting in, it's not even sitting in a warehouse on a server. It's just yeah. on a spreadsheet yes. somewhere. Yeah. Years and years of data, hundreds of thousands, millions of records, right. not being leveraged to its full capacity to inform the business model. Yes. Because ultimately you need to understand where are the trends happening. And if you don't have your finger on the pulse on that particular business model and how you're going to scale your business, you've lost the battle. Completely. You're not going to win. But then what we do is we run the race being blindsided by our competitors. Yeah. So all we're doing yeah. is like, oh my gosh, they're doing this. That means we have to, yeah, do, we it. Have to we, do it. Too. But they don't mm. know the results of what's happening in the back end. It might be an epic failure. But and that's why the new guys completely run past because they're not worried about any of that. Worried, They've got their yeah. blinders on. And yeah. They're like, we're just here to solve a problem. We're not thinking about this or that. Or you know, they're just running. Yeah. And so, so true. And, and the thing is, I'm one of those people. I truly believe that you need to build a bespoke culture. Yes. Something yeah. that's like, if you understand your customers, they are buying from you because they love what you have to offer. Yeah. And there's a reason they're part of your tribe. Understand what those hooks are. Understand what makes them part of your community. And then from there, yeah. you can leverage that. But no, 
We don't want to do that. Not- you know, there was a, a YouTube clip a couple, I think maybe a couple of years ago now, and there was a kid speaking to his mom, and his mom, he was in trouble, and his mom was trying to, like, you know, discipline him. And he was like, listen, Linda, listen. Linda, listen. And he kept trying to interrupt her. It was like <laughs> oh, five, six. Linda, yeah. yeah. And he was so just really, he was clearly not a black mother, but like, <laughs> but Linda, listen, listen. And I was just like, for me, I'm like, that's how we need to view our consumers. We need to actually listen. Mm-hmm. We need to pay attention to them. And we don't. We dictate on a lot of times. Like, we dictate and we tell them, like, this is what you must do, right? This is exactly like, you want this. And we very few times, let's take a step back and say, why do they actually make this purchase decision? Why do they stay here? Why do they keep listening to our content? Why mm-hmm. does it speak to them? When was the last time we actually asked them? All right. We just take the basic metrics. How much money do they give us? What's that customer acquisition cost, customer lifetime value? And then we move on. We don't go any deeper than that. And I think it does a disservice to our customers mm-hmm. and the brands that do listen and really think about that experience. We ignore them and we think, oh, they're doing it the stupid way. And then all of a sudden they lap us and they go leaps and bounds ahead. And I think that's what makes a disruptive business yeah. is a business that listens and a business that innovates by developing a culture of problem solving yeah. on an incremental level. 100%. Yeah. And I think um, like I actually wrote an article today um, published on this community, yes. um, which is about the five P's yes. um, that if you want to be a CEO, if you don't apply these five P's in your life or in your career in business, you're not going to be around, which right. is purpose. Yes. It's people. Yes. It's profits. Mm-hmm. The planet. Anyway, the reason I wanted to mention that to you is, is that I think that it's so important that we need to realize that technology is also a servant and companies that are performing the best are because they take in consideration the people and the purpose yes. of why their business exists. Yeah. And I think for me, it's like the why behind the brand, right? It's the why do you get out of bed? Why do people feel the way they feel? And it's not about money. A lot of times people think, oh, the, the thing that makes that decision is because of how much money they have or how much our service costs or doesn't mm. cost. And people actually don't care about that. They're thinking about value. Right. The thing about that, the value that your system, your product, your service actually creates in their life, you know, the time it saves them, the experience it gives them, the access it gives them. That's what matters to people. And I think we don't do a good enough job of actually listening to those kind of insights. Hey, here, here. Well, our time is coming to an end. So I want to ask one more question before we, we go over to our little game that we're going to play yeah. just now. You know, everybody's talking the fourth industrial revolution. <laughs> what does it look like for Africa? Yeah. I think for me, I'm incredibly excited about it. And I think 4IR is not Wi-Fi and tablets. (laughs) Uh, That's a misconception (laughs) and incorrect. Um, But for me, it's like it's the merging of technology and behavior and data like never before mm. um, and why it's mandatory for us to listen, why it's mandatory for us to, to take deep insights and then convert that to making better experiences for people. So I think for me, it's a level of connectivity that we're going to see that, that moves faster than ever. Education is completely changing. Access to information is completely changing. Platforms like voice and what mm. we're doing right now are as fast as growing. So I think for me, it's just like the way we share information, the way we educate ourselves are going to be completely completely transformed in the next 10 years, Mm. right? My kids are two and four right now. The way they view education and higher education is going to be completely different than how we did, Mm. right? Like it's going to be almost unnecessary, you know? It's kind of even unnecessary almost now, Uh, right? I just want to say it's almost like obsolete already. (laughs) You know what I mean? So that's, for me, that's the tremendous opportunity that technology is going to enable, especially for the continent. Mm. So I think for me, the next 50 years for the continent, we're going to leapfrog a lot of places because of that, mm. um, because we're going to be able to rapidly outpace a lot of people that are going to become legacy because we don't have any legacy yeah. issues because we don't have any. <laughs> and also we haven't yeah. gone for all of these industrial exactly. revolutions. Exactly. And, yeah. and then the World Economic Forum said that we will actually skip the third industrial revolution yeah. and we will move straight into the fourth um like they, uh, is it in ghana where yes. they're busy building the drone highway yes. for 2025 yeah. and one of and yeah, oh, yes. oh, you see yeah, i do yeah, my yeah, homework you got it. <laughs> <laughs> um okay yeah but i mean the point that i'm trying to get across is that africa will definitely leapfrog um, yeah. like we did with mobile yeah. and i don't think people realize what's coming they really don't you know they, they it's actually quite incredible you know i always tell a story about zim you know zim's got a collapsed economy and it has for yeah. a long time but 95 percent of payments in zim last year were mobile payments mm-hmm. cash free so 
the only cashless society on the world is Zimbabwe. <laughs> Yo, right? Out of necessity. I mean, we <laughs> kind of caused it. My particular man caused it, right? Um, but if so, any country in the world that can transform into a completely cryptocurrency environment, it's actually only Zimbabwe. Yeah, no, it's right? so And so that's an incredible capability born out of hardship and born out of collapse and corruption and everything else under the sun. But there's an immense opportunity there. So I think for me, I'm super excited about mm. where we're going as a continent because we've got so much opportunity. We've got lots of problems that need to be fixed, but we've got exponential solutions that are coming. So yeah. I'm excited. Well, I'm very excited. And I mean, if you just look at what they did with M-Pesa, yeah. and with, I mean, if we're now looking at crypto, yeah. um, I think, I don't know if you watch a documentary on Netflix yes. about the Bitcoin. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then we're talking about how many people are actually using Bitcoin yeah. um, to transfer money. Exactly. Um, I think it's fascinating. Yeah, it's incredible. <gasps> oh, exciting times. Indeed. Okay. So in tradition, we are going to play a game, but the only thing is you are not allowed to give me the right answers. Okay. Not like you did now. Now you have to give me the wrong answers. Okay. Try okay. not to be clever. Do not be too clever. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Hello, my cousins. It's Barry Hilton here, and welcome to the Carmen Murray Show. Have I got something lacquer to show you? I've got a game that I've invented called Smart Ask. Yes, can you be a smart ask? I'm sure you can. Most of us are smart askers, but this game, it's quite simple. It's split up into six categories. There's nine cards on each category. Every card has six questions. The dealer chooses the question. And all you have to do is answer three questions correctly to win the game. Is that easy? Uh, well, all of the answers are in multiples of three. So let's get ready to play the game. On your marks, get it. Go. Internal organs. Wow. Uh, the ear, the <laughs> nose, the tongue. Whales. <laughs> oh, whales. Uh, wow. The country or the, <laughs> the animal. Oh, uh, okay. Um, wow. The hunchback. Oh, no. Oh, the cheetah, okay. the elephant. The... Okay. Time to antelope. Um, rhino, hippopotamus and cheetah. Okay. Countries that have a red in their flag. That have red in their flag. Oh, geez. Um, Oh, wow. Kenya, Ro no, uh, <laughs> Egypt, uh, Norway, uh, Sweden. <laughs> oh my goodness, it's not a big state. Okay, yeah. um, countries beginning with a, with a P. Um, Somalia, uh, Kenya, and Ethiopia. Names of popes. Uh, Charlie, um, Dick, and Harry. <laughs> <laughs> Former South African presidents. Uh, Donald Trump, Robert Mugabe, and Muammar Gaddafi. Ah! That was genius. It's like a Nando's ad right there. Yes. <laughs> a bad one. <laughs> anyway, that was awesome. And uh, for, for the listeners, where can they find your book? Um, so in South Africa, anywhere on exclusive books, any major bookstore, online, Amazon, um, and any major retailer. We're kind of everywhere from an ebook standpoint and in-country, any bookstore. And we'll put a link in the show notes so if yes. they want to reach out to you, but just maybe call it out. Um, cool. So Mushambi Matuma is my handle anywhere. M-U-S-H-A-M-B-I, M-U-T-U-M-A. Instagram, LinkedIn, my favorite platforms with Facebook, Twitter, everywhere. Fantastic. Yes. Well, it was such a pleasure having you here and I just love seeing you come to life and your eyes just like <laughs> full of like technology sparks. It's like technology. That's so like, much fun. Thanks for not giving us technophobia, but sharing techniques. Thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You've been listening to The Carmen Murray Show, another solid gold podcast. Please take a moment to rate and share this episode with friends and colleagues who love customer experience and marketing just as much as you do. To connect with Carmen, visit CarmenMurray.com, where you will find links to her business services, future fit events, and biz community articles. Carmen Murray is CEO of Ouya Modern Marketing Services that empower businesses to deliver premium customer experiences, B2B, B2C and B2B2C across all industries. Some of these services include research, CX strategy, persona development and customer journey mapping, CX audits, UX audits, and the connected marketer training in connected customer experiences, mobile, data management, and AI. 
You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.